collection of over 15,000 full-length concert recordings from bands like Pearl Jam, Sonic Youth, and Strange Fun. So you'll never run out of live music to explore. You can listen to a show from last night or one from 40 years ago. I've been using the Nugs.net app for about two years now, and uh, it really helped out when I was getting heavily into Umphreys McGee last summer after seeing their Red Rock shows. Um, I was able to just go through each year, kind of scroll through Twitter, get highlights of great shows, throw them up, and right there I had soundboard quality shows. I remember in particular February 1st, 2014 from Detroit, an absolutely epic show that totally won me over, hearing it in pristine soundboard quality right there on my phone was absolutely epic. And Nugs has a ton of Metallica shows. Metallica's really fun live. They have, like, the lunk-headed stage banter down to a science. In addition to having a really huge catalog, James Hetfield always says stuff like, we play, play some new songs, and then we play the old songs, and they play Ride By, and they play, like, Ride the Lightning, or Creeping Death. You know, it's got the set list. They know what they're doing. It's great to have all those shows at your fingertips. I've been gorging on Metallica shows as of late. What's great about Nugs is that it's available on desktop, iOS, Android apps, Sonos, and Blue OS. Just like us, the folks at Nugs.net are live music fanatics, and now they're offering new subscribers a 35% discount on an annual subscription. So go to Nugs.net slash Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, and sign up today. If you already have a subscription, go ahead and give the gift of live music to a friend. Again, Nugs.net slash Osiris. For 35% off an annual subscription. folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You're tuned in to episode 69, nice, of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself generally use the music of Fish as a jumping off point to get the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. Because we love Fish, 
We are fish fans, especially when they're on summer tour like they are now. But the problem with fish fans is sometimes they get a bit myopic. They only have eyes for their favorite band, and they kind of ignore the fact that there are tons of other great musics out there. Great musics, which Trey Anastasia recently discussed in a fantastic New York Times interview. He wants you to go beyond the pond. Absolutely. And we are here midway through the second week of Fish's Summer 2019 tour. We know a little bit more than we did when we recorded last week. At least we think we do. We've got some thoughts. We've got some opinions. We've got some music that we want to share with you guys. Uh, Similar to episode 68, uh, we are here breaking down the most recent week of Fish's Summer 2019 tour. Toronto, Blossom, Charlotte, and Two Nights at Meriwether Post Pavilion. We are going to be recapabling this the same way that we did in the last episode. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, And we're really excited to get uh, jumping into here. There was a lot, a lot, a lot that happened here over the last couple of of shows. Some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include the first, all caps, S-H-O-W of summer 2019. The future meets the present meets the past. And the final settling of summer 2019. And on that note, let's get to the fish. we said at the top here uh we are going to be going through our various categories here through summer 2019 trying to get a sense of what the best parts what the not so best parts were what the what happened what what were we feeling what were we seeing here as we went through summer 2019 here in week two covering toronto blossom charlotte and meriwether post up first We've got the best opening quarter. Dave, what would you say was the best opening quarter of the last week? Charlotte, not even really close. Have mercy. Got a Jabu, free Ginseng Sullivan, tweezer into passing through. Yeah, this was the best show of the tour thus far, and it opens with the best opening quarter of the tour as well. Have Mercy we get for only the 16th time ever. The first time since Double Chocolate. Somehow that was 63 shows ago, which blows my mind. Uh, and that really just opens the show perfectly. You kind of hear and feel the warm southeast sun hitting you as the day fades into night. It just sounds glorious. Got a Jabu rages. It's a slightly unique slot here for free that doesn't really hurt the flow. Ginseng Sullivan is perfect in the southeast. And the tweezer straight into passing through is a legitimate highlight worthy worthy of a second set. Just as a side note, uh, we'll get this in a second, but we both love how these Cosmode Vox songs are just seamlessly infusing themselves into the rotation. This is kind of one of those first quarters that just seems so effortless. It makes you think, why can't they do this all the time? But that's why you see more fish shows <laughs> than one. Also, uh, regards to passing through, the more I listen to that song, the more it makes me feel like um, it's a great song, but Fish should just bring back Don't You Want to Go, and it kind of does the same thing. 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the the call and response choruses and kind of the uh, revivalist feel that you have to it, like the southern revivalist feel you have to it. I, I would love to hear that song. One of the great mysteries of fish is why that song did not survive summer 95. That is, yeah, it's such a great way to open a show. That's like the like the dead in the 80s and 90s that let the good times roll. Fish yes. could have had Don't You Want to Go. So maybe, I don't know. If I ever get to ask them, I'll ask them. Where'd that go? But anyway. And that would be in an opening quarter, and you can be sure if they played that to open up a show, that would be a uh, the, the winner for that week. Automatic, automatic. Automatic. Um, so moving on to our second category here, the Kool-Aid Man Award. For anyone who did not listen to episode 68, Dave, this was your inception. This, this category is all you. Can you explain to our fine listeners what this is? Simple. The Kool-Aid Man Award... It's the song or song selections that make you want to run through a wall like the Kool-Aid Man. If you're a, that actually that reference might not make sense if you weren't born at least in the 80s, but um, <laughs> there used to be, I guess there still is, a drink called Kool-Aid that's very sugary and unhealthy that parents in the 80s gave to their kids. I know I had a bunch of it. And the Kool-Aid Man was an anthropomorphic pitcher that used to run through walls because he was so high on sugar. So <laughs> so what do we have as the Kool-Aid Man Award for week two of the tour? From the Toronto show, to kick off the third quarter, the uh, plasma into the final hurrah. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, probably a unique choice uh, for, for this category. But, you know, at, at only 17 minutes combined, and it kind of kicks off the second set of the worst show of the tour. This is an odd choice, um, you know. Where's Birds of a Feather, Runaway Jim, a song I heard the ocean sing, the MPP tube steam combo, the MPP ruby waves. I mean, there are some great, great highlights that we heard uh, throughout the uh, the last week of the tour that could have been a part of this uh, category. Um, but what really sets this segment apart for us is the newness of it all. Plasma has only been played eight times. The final hurrah has only been played three times. And yet here they both are leading off a second set and jamming with inventiveness, creative freedom, and effortless communication. If any segment of music has made us want to run through a wall at the possibilities of what's in store for the summer, it's this. Literally everything great that has happened in the past week can be traced back to these two songs colliding. Yeah, I agree. It's quite awesome. And yet, the final Harajan used to be about seven minutes longer than it actually is. Yes. Because... It gets cut off in the midst of what can only be described as a jam that leaves you list, uh, like floating four inches off the ground. Right. It was an inexplicable error to cut it off. I mean, we like Wingsuit, have no problem with the song, but you listen to this jam and think that there was zero reason not to keep this gorgeous major key improv going. Was the band not hearing what everybody else in the lawn was hearing? I don't know. I mean, I'm happy that we have... Uh, we have it at all and that what we have is very good i just wish it was longer yeah it's like the opposite of what would happen in like summer 2011 where you were like all right just keep jamming and you might find something and then they'd cut it off for alaska or whatever other song they were about to play at that point the horse um 
here they'd found the group <laughs> and they'd found this like really exciting moment and then suddenly we're in wingsuit and wingsuit is a really great fade um and we should note you know the uh golden age that followed wingsuit was fantastic as well um but man from a positivity standpoint you know knowing that these two songs are so new and we're able to connect it with such seamlessness uh it just had me excited throughout the entire uh uh rest of the week at the shows so next category we have seemed like a good idea at the time meaning something that may have seen like a good idea when it was going on or being played looking back in retrospect didn't really work we got brian we're being a little harsh here we know just simply playing a show in toronto Mm. Look, we love Canada, and Fish has played some great shows in Canada. Uh, the off-mentioned behind-the-scenes show on September 9th, 1999, the Kathleen Hinkle show, if you will, is one that we're probably going to be covering at some point here in the very near future. But as of late, Fish has more or less remained a stateside band. Their two efforts north of the border have lacked. If not the south of the border. If not the south of the border, we do know that they have played Mexico. Um, but the two efforts north of the border have lacked the punch in their best shows, or really even their good shows. Aside from the above segment and the really lovely Down with Disease from 2013, the band has approached their two 3.0 Toronto shows with little more than a shrug. Perhaps playing in Canada has made them a little bit too play? Let's face it, Canada. Your time is up. You won the NBA Finals, good for you. Just joined the Northern U.S. already, eh? <laughs> um, weird show. In the first set goes ACDC Bag, 555, Ocelot, Sample in a Jar. This felt like what everybody thought that the Bonnaroo show was going to feel like. Yeah. And whenever set two seemed like it was about to blast off, they pulled back. And we won't ever complain about... um. You and Joe myself was the first set closer, but relative to all the other nights, it just seemed to be a bit of a disconnect about uh, this one show. Agree. I think um, there's going to be a show like this on every single tour. You really hope that you don't attend this show because it's always kind of the off night where they're resetting themselves. Um, but, you know, I think... In reality, maybe the preparation for Bonnaroo was a little bit too intense for the band. It seemed like they really wanted to put something out there uh, this year. Um, I don't know. This show just fell flat for me. I think it fell flat for you, and I think we can move on from talking about it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. So our favorite segment of uh, the entire string of categories that we have here. If this tour were a baseball season, would we be in playoff contention, Dave? Right now, we're in the wild card game. So, we're in the playoffs. We've got our one game wild card playoff. It's an improvement. This is a big stride from last week. Uh, last week, we were a couple games back from the wild card game, we thought. We're sniffing at the division lead and are firmly in the wild card game. We overcame the 20 minute jam hurdle. Crafted a full show that we'll both listen to multiple times going forward. Add to it, we got great energy and flow through many parts of the run, plus a killer second set in Meriwether post-night two. We're on the upswing. 
We're not seeing the step backs of summer twenty of summer twenty sixteen or summer twenty eighteen. We're also not seeing the massive leaps forward early on from summer twenty seventeen or fifteen. We'll get there, we think, but still too many Toronto Merriweather Post uh, Night One set twos, Merriweather Post Night Two set ones to wade through. You throw down two shocking shows in Maine and two out of three brilliant fun shows in Camden. Maybe thinks back 2012. And a week from now, we'll be talking about our five-game league division. I mean, most baseball teams would be very happy to be in the wild card game. You're technically mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Your uh, team can market merchandise to that effect. And hopefully that one-game playoff goes your way. I was happy when the Mets were in the playoffs in 2016. They lost to the San Francisco Giants when Jared Familia gave up a home run to a guy named Connor Gillespie, who I think is out of baseball now. But I was very happy when they were in the game. I was thrilled when we were in it in 2015. We played the Pirates, and uh, Jake Arrieta threw an absolutely classic game. Two years in a row, the Pirates went down to uh, uh, big-time uh, starting pitchers, and then we met the Mets in the NLCS, and I just cried for the entire winter. But, you got what? <laughs> Um, But, you know, one thing just to note, for context, we're we're nine shows into the tour as of the end of Meriwether Post Night 2. And I would say it compares with these first nine shows of summer tours throughout 3.0. 2011 through Great Woods, 2012 through Riverbend, 2014 through Randalls, and then just a notch below 2015's through Tuscaloosa, 2017 through Jamfield, and... um, you know, that said, just to kind of keep in mind going forward, 2011 and 2014 never really improved following their first nine shows. They definitely both took a dip after that. And while 2012, 2015, and 2017 only continued to get better, there's still a ton of opportunity within this tour. There's a lot that can happen. There's some really great venues that the band is about to play. They're playing in Maine right now as we speak. Down Z's just went into play-by-play and is simple. Looks like a killer second set that we can't wait to listen back to. We've got Camden this weekend. And then um, we've got, uh, what do we have? Uh, Back, Fenway, Mohegan, and then Alpine. There's like four venues in there that the band absolutely loves to play at. So I think that we're on the upswing here. We, we can at least look ahead to some great places for them to be uh, sinking their teeth into and playing. But that all said, Dave, be honest. How many of these shows will you actually listen to again? I will listen to Charlotte in full. About 75% of Blossom. Listen to definitely the second set of Meriwether Post Pavilion the second night. Meriwether Post Night 1, about 35 minutes of that show. And then Toronto, the 25 minutes comprising um, the Golden Age and then uh, the opening plasma into um, the final hurrah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Charlotte is an excellent fish show. It's the reason that we see this band. You cannot predict a show like that. You can't write it on a paper. You just know when they play a show that that's great. Yeah, in the first set, doing a tweezer sandwich with Mercury and Say It To Me Santos, that kind of almost feels like Fantasy Fish, and it's yes. just not fair. Yeah, and then Blossom, you know, it's got some weird flow in set two. Uh, strangely ends with a life beyond a dream when the deep zone jam and split open a melt were a perfect conclusion. 
case in point, we'll kind of skip around it and then move on. But there were definitely some highlights within there. In addition to the birds of the feather, you get a really good version of the Mike Gordon Jan Crazy sometimes, which makes me think yes. that they should play it more. Also, a phenomenal chalk dust that almost kind of times feels like um, a snack pack version of the epic Blossom chalk dust from August 7th, 2015. It's only 11 minutes, but it covers a ton of ground and Trey does a really bad lyric flub and he turns lemon to lemonade and makes a good joke about it. Yes, and that jam, you're absolutely right, is super adventurous. It's kind of all over the place in a really unique way. And if you're not looking at your timesheet, you're kind of thinking that it, you know, ended up going 15 minutes. It just it just gets really expensive and out there. Um, Meriwether Night 2, you know, aside from the Karini, there's really no need to hear set one ever again. Uh, we will listen, though, to set two in the encore uh, um, forever and full. I mean, those were great. It's a very heady, chin-stroking set. It doesn't blow you away with, like, flamethrower tray or crazy, crazy dancing, but it's almost more like a warm bath complete with bubbles, some Epsom salts, <laughs> especially in uh, the cross-eyed and painless system. Very melodic, very pretty jamming. Everything's right, modulates like four or five different times. And then when they go in the ruby waves, I thought, well, this is a little fast, a little upbeat, a little poppier than the set demands, but I actually went into a very, very interesting jam that was kind of in keeping with the rest of the set. And then, of course, there was the supersized, like, four-song encore. Yeah, yeah, really great right. stuff. And, you know, Meriwether Night 1, it's got a solid, old-school set one, kind of a frustrating set two. Uh, we'll skip around and listen to about 30 to 40 minutes of it, like Dave said. Nothing about uh, that second set makes sense. Um, unless they were trying to set a record for the most consecutive songs around five minutes played in the second set. Mm, mm. If you play Harry Hood and still somehow have time to play Rise, Come Together, and Golgi afterwards, you screwed up, huh? Uh, yeah. That was 10-minute rush job hood, and then Rise, Come Together, and Golgi is like an acknowledgement that uh, Hood was too short. Yes. And then Toronto, you got a great third quarter. Nothing more. Which brings us to our final category. The This is Why We Do This Award. Why do we do this, Dave? We do this because sometimes you go to a show. You go to a show outside Cleveland in a big, cool wooden shed at Blossom. And then they play Birds of the Feather for 24 minutes. A 24-minute long jam. A top five all-time performance for the song that's often forgotten as the song birthed by the Remain in Light. Yeah, this is why we do this. I will personally never forget following the set list as I was driving south from Montrose to Telluride to the Bluegrass Festival. It was an absolutely perfect summer night. The mountains were rising up all around me. I was listening to Dick's Picks 18 on CD because I had no service, no signal, no stream. And was somewhat frustrated by the show to this point, uh, just as the set list was rolling in. It was kind of feeling like a, you know, after effect of Toronto. And when Birds of a Feather started after another eight-minute stealing time set to opener, I mean, why did they even play that song in that slot? I initially thought the set show was going down the can, and then my phone didn't update for 25 minutes. And I thought it was a flaw due to lack of service. And then text started piling in. And when I finally threw it on a few hours later, 
I could not have been happier. Uh, they took one of my all-timer songs. I just wanted to hear jam. I want to hear it jam consistently and jammed it in a way that I don't think it's been played this well since uh, uh, Great Woods 2004. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal jam. If uh, Beyond the Poundless, as we call, a few months back, we interviewed our friend Conrad Doucette. And I think he mentioned that he hosts a Grateful Dead Night at Three's Brewery once a month on Wednesdays. So I actually uh, was at Dead Night this week. I know the show wasn't being webcast. I was just like refreshing fish into my phone and was kind of perplexed as to why I kept refreshing it every five minutes. And Birds of the Feather was still there, still there. So that's why. This is some of Fishman's most incredible drumming. I mean, I think to quote Trey from um, the Fish book from the mid-90s, Fish plays stuff that, Fish plays shit that nobody plays. He's totally loose. His playing never sounds like a riff. And it's true. You just you zoom in on Fishman in this, and you're just keeping it alive through all sorts of interesting and inventive drumming and swaying. And it's, uh, it's very impressive. It's really impressive. I actually watched the video of it today, and it, there's a section in it midway through where they just the, the the camera hangs on Fish, and it's right when he's playing just some weird off kilter rhythms, and it's unbelievable, unbelievable stuff to get from him. He really looks like he's playing and having a ton of fun this summer. And one other thing that must be noted. We, we said this, I think, last week in our last episode, and I know I've mentioned this a bit on Twitter, just something that has to be noted in 2019 jamming is that Fish is not playing a type one version of a song for eight minutes before transitioning to do a type two jam. They're not like playing the theme of a song for six, seven, eight minutes, and then they find a jam. They're jamming like three minutes in. I mean, this bird's jam begins right at the end of the uh, of, of the final chorus, and then they don't look back. Just give me that all day long. The gym was like this. The song I heard the ocean sing, just fantastic, fantastic stuff from them. And on that note, let's listen to three to five minutes of the birds of a feather jam from uh, Blossom. <laughs>
Bands.net is the destination for live music on demand. They have a growing collection of over 15,000 full-length concert recordings from bands like Wilco, Humphreys McGee, and j So you'll never run out of live music to explore. You can listen to a show from last night or one from 40 years ago. It's available on desktop, iOS and Android apps, Sonos, and LuOS. Just like us, the folks at Nugs.net are live music fanatics. So, they're offering new subscribers a 35% discount on an annual subscription. So go to Nugs.net slash Osiris and sign up today. If you already have a subscription, give the gift of live music to a friend. Again, Nugs.net slash Osiris for 35% off an annual subscription. So jumping in right away here to some new album recommendations. These are new records that have come out in the last couple days, couple weeks, maybe in the last month. I think this one came out that I'm going to talk about here in early June. It's Jake Xerxes' Fusils Out of Sight. This has been my go-to record since its release. This just sounds like a cabin in a small mountain town in the warmest and friendliest and most isolated way possible. This is the third record from the new, from the North Carolina singer-songwriter. And I should say, if you've enjoyed our coverage of Hisco the Messenger, Steve Gunn, William Tyler, episode 16, Fishgrass, or literally anything we've ever done or talked about with John Hart, you will love this. And in fact, John Hart is who turned me on to Fusil and um, does not let me forget it every time I mention how much I love this record. Uh, but it's really, really good stuff. We definitely encourage you guys to listen to it. Um, so just a couple quick notes here. This is the first time Fusil has been joined by a full band for a record. And you can think of this essentially as a folk record in the pre-Dylan model. Uh Fusil is kind of a preservationist. He's used the power of the internet, however, to learn more and deepen his understanding of the folk tradition. So it really feels like a record that's fully fleshed out from an idea standpoint, while also um, seeming like it's reinterpretations of older folk songs, um, but, you know, feeling really timeless, uh, feeling really emulative. It's, It's just really, really beautiful stuff. Throughout the record, he re- re- he uh, utilizes a really clean electric tone rather than an acoustic guitar, which gives the record a true sense of newness while preserving the past as well. The song that we are going to play here, 1620, is a gorgeous and haunting take on a very folksy drone tune. And please, by all, if I go to any party this summer, give me drinking of the wine at the conclusion of any party that I go to. Um, of note, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Bonnie Prince Billy, claims to have listened to more Jake Xerxes' Fusil than any other artist in his home over the past year. And as he noted, as long as Fusil is making and playing music, there is reason for optimism in the world. 
So we're going to go ahead here and listen to 1620 off of Jake Xerxes Fusils Out of Sight. So the record for new album recommendations I've got came out last Friday. The latest album from the band Hot Ship, A Bath Full of Ecstasy. And we're going to play the song Hungry Child. So I actually tweeted earlier in the week from my personal account that Hot Ship really need to be thought of in the same breath as bands like Spoon, Yolda Tango, Stephen Malkmus, and the New Pornographers, which is to say indie rock institutions that put out so many good records consistently that we just take them for granted. So I think this is Hot Chip's seventh album since 2004, and they've got a bottomless bag of dance beats and classic pop songwriting instincts that remains just that. Still bottomless. I mean, I feel like they could put on variations on this album and their other albums for years. That said, even the best bands aren't completely full of clams and I for one did not like the last Hot Chip album Why Makes Sense I thought the sound was oddly monochrome the jokes were unfunny and the beats kind of recycled but A Bath Full of Ecstasy very much writes the ship this is extremely bright sounding well produced dance music with some huge summer jams especially with the first singles Hungry Child and Melody of Love this has always been a band for fans of uh, forward thinking dance music 
with an emphasis on uh, love and grown-up relationships. And I think certainly for fans of bands like Cut Copy, Erasure, New Order, and uh, I guess even Phoenix, to name a few. And kind of in a bit of sad irony, one of the producers that they utilize on this album, a guy named uh, Philippe Czar of uh, the long-running French duo Cassius, and a fairly well-known French dance producer in his own right, he died two days before this album was released from a tragic accident. He allegedly fell out of a window in an old building in Paris, which is uh, quite awful, quite unexpected. Um, his main squeeze, the band Cassius, actually put out a new record the same day as his Hot Chip album. But this album really uh, stands as a testament to his brilliance as a dance producer and just the brilliance of Hot Chip in general. So now we're going to listen uh, to the song Hungry Child. Been trying hard to pull you back all my life. It's momentary, a moment like a heart attack. Stop my life, it's momentary. What are we listening to right now? As a reminder, we decided to open the vaults for this episode and just dig deep into whatever it may be, new music, old music, music that's kind of been lingering that's just jumped back into both of our rotations, just to kind of give you all a sample of uh, some of our favorite records and what's kind of just pressing at our eardrums right now. So my record that I'm going to talk about is Bob Dylan's bootleg series, I believe number 10 from 2013 called Another Self-Portrait. Now, quick bit of backstory here. When I was first getting into Dylan, it was all about the early 60s folk stories and protest songs. That was my immediate driving point. Later, I moved on to the peak period of bringing it all back home Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde. And for a while, that's just where I lingered. That's where I stayed. It was kind of my favorite period for him. And I didn't think of anything beyond that, really, for Dylan. Basically, his whole career ended with the uh, motorcycle crash for a long time for me. I then got introduced to the high points through his later years. Nashville Skyline, Blood on the Tracks, Time Out of Mind, Love and Theft. 
But at some point, I just kept listening and I needed something more. And that's why I sort of discovered these kind of ugly in-between years that separates kind of really big Dylan fans from someone more casual. These are the down years, the woodshedding years, the moments where Dylan appeared lost compared to those moments where he seemed to communicate as all-knowing. And that is where another self-portrait resides. Uh, and this was really the moment where it all kind of came together for me. When this was released, it, it calls his outtakes from the album Self-Portrait and New Morning, as well as parts of Nashville Skyline. And this is the period late 1960s, early 1970s. I think the, 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 series, the bootleg series itself covers 69 to 71 where Dylan moves completely away from cultural zeitgeist to the early mid-60s and has fully embraced this very quiet, contemplative life of domesticity and the rural setting he'd found himself in. Uh, for a long time, this was so far from my own personal interests with Dylan, but as of late, it has become everything I've wanted to hear from him, and probably not shockingly because I am uh, – in a very similar position in my life as, as well right now. Um, at the end of the day, this collection, uh, it, spawns, it spreads across, I think, like 35 tracks. It really updates this period of Dylan's career that's been derided by critics and many fans. There was a Rolling Stone review of Self-Portrait that began with, what is this shit? Grammar. Um Yes. And there was a ton of... Um, uh, there was just a ton of animosity and aggression towards these records that came out. They were very simple. Um, they were quite, quite different from anything Dylan had been doing in the sixties. And there was such a huge hankering still for Dylan to be the protest singer, the, you know, cultural leader of this hippie movement that was kind of the counterculture was spun out of control here in the early seventies. And I've just found myself in love with this whole period for Dylan, all leading up to kind of before the flood when he came back and then did Rolling Thunder and then dipped again into kind of a, a weird um, uh, forgotten period until recently. But this whole era, I, I've been addicted to this record. I listened to it when I was driving from Denver to Telluride, and it just took up a great two and a half hours of the drive and was just really, really beautiful stuff, really thoughtful stuff. And so we're going to play what probably is my favorite track of the whole record. Uh, it's a traditional song that he performed, and it's one of the prettiest songs I've ever heard Dylan play, and that's Pretty Sorrow uh, off of another self-portrait. Down in some lone valley in a sad, lonesome place Where the wild birds do warble All their notes to increase Farewell, pretty sorrow I bid ye adieu But I dream of pretty sorrow There, my love, she won't have me, so I understand. She wants a freeholder who owns a house and land. I cannot maintain her. 
silver and gold And all of the fine things That a big house can hold If I was a poet Okay, I could stand the digging to that period of Dylan. I haven't done much in the way of doing so, but uh, plan it at the, in the not-too-distant future. But for now, what I find myself listening to this summer, and I think it has something to do with almost being 40 years old and having uh, two children, the young of which is youngest of which is seven weeks at this point. Uh, I find myself obsessed with a man who I know we've talked about on this podcast dozens of times before. This is Portland, Oregon's own Ripley Johnson, and he's got three bands, at least three bands that I'm aware of, being Wooden Ships, Moon Duo with his wife, and most recently, the Rose City Band. So I guess if you're going to classify them, Wooden Ships is kind of the most typically uh, West Coast classic rock. Moon Duo is a little icier, more alternative, rockier, kind of veers towards uh, some shoegaze at times, in addition to lots of influence uh, from the band Suicide. And the most recently, the Rose City Band, who put out a record that we fucking loved about two months ago. They're the back porch barbecue band of your dreams. But kind of what all of his bands have in common is his sleepy lead vocals, his rather awesome guitar solos, and an emphasis on repetition. That's a feature, not a bug. I mean, really, these bands are kind of the perfect background music in that you can completely enjoy them without having to concentrate on it too hard. Great for long car rides. And like I said, I mean, nowadays, I don't like to have to think too hard. And this is, I can just put it on. His bands play themselves. And I mean, Wooden Ships, they recently uh, played Brooklyn Bowl. While uh, due to family commitments, I was unable to go to that show. I know there's a fantastic recording of it up on the NYC Taper website that I perhaps will link to. And it was really gratifying to see so many of my friends who were witnessing this band for the first time just get their faces melted. So what I've kind of taken to doing lately is I uh, put most of uh, Ripley Johnson's bands and albums into one Spotify mix, press shuffle, and then have fun trying to figure out which song comes from which band. Well, uh, getting thoroughly relaxed and plus he's the one thing i love to listen to in the car that my wife does not only not have a problem with but actually enjoys so we're going to listen to the song these shadows off of wooden ships back to land album and i think this is one of their coolest songs just like badass riding through the desert on motorcycles wearing mirror shades very slowly Almost you can imagine like uh, the movie Easy Rider in your head. So let's listen to that. And I highly recommend all of this guy's bands for the rest of your summer.
Okay, guys, thank you for hanging out with us here in episode 69. We covered Toronto, Blossom, Charlotte, and Meriwether from Fish's 2019 summer tour. So quick update here on songs that were played in this episode. We had a new album recommendations, Jake Xerxes' Fusils Out of Sight. 16 to 20 was the song that was played. David played Hot Chips. Hungry Child off of a bath full of ecstasy. And in segment two, what are we listening to right now? I played Pretty Sorrow off of Bob Dylan's Another Self Portrait. And Dave played These Shadows off of Wooden Ships Back to Land. Suggestion minor of social media links. You can find us on Twitter at, at underscore beyond the pond. Simplecast. Beyond the Pond Simplecast.fm, Spotify. We always have our um, Beyond the Pond podcast song playlist. It's pretty unwieldy. It has every song available in Spotify that we've uh, attempted to cover on these past sixty-nine episodes. Press shuffle. Have yourself, a, have yourself a heck of a time. You can find us on um, proud members of the Osiris Podcast Network at. You can find us and other fantastic Osiris podcasts at osirispod.com. Leave us an iTunes review. We read all of them. We get a kick out of it. It makes us more visible in uh, Tim Cook land, whatever that's worth. Absolutely. Um, and one quick note before we get into publishing structure here. Uh, if you guys are fans of our podcast, we encourage you to check out HF Pod during summer tour as well. They do a quick hit with a fan who was typically at the show uh, the night before talking about the show, playing a little bit of uh, jam from that show. It's a nice compliment to what we do over here. Good friends here in the Osiris podcast network as well. Uh, our publishing structure throughout the uh, summer tour is typically going to be on Wednesdays or Thursdays uh, as quickly as I can get these edited and out there. Um, usually every other Tuesday, we will return to that at some point here, but we know what fish summer tour is like. You guys know what fish summer tour is like. It's kind of all, uh, it's all consuming for a five week stretch of time that, uh, we all miss when it's not happening. So we're just putting, pushing these out on a week to week basis for you guys to get a sense of what we're thinking about the summer tour and hear a bit of new music from us as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we uh, happen to hear anything that's especially interesting, in addition to talking about the fish shows, of course, you'll hear about it here on Beyond the Pond. Also, follow us on Twitter, because when we're not um, recording, we're listening, we have a tendency to be doing some live tweeting. And also, we'll just tweet about uh, certain records and albums that are really making our days throughout the summer. So, definitely come back. Every other Tuesday in general, probably a bit sooner, given that uh, we're in tour mode. We will hold hands. We will uh, do some particularly awesome things. We will drink sour double IPAs like I have been drinking throughout this recording. We will hold hands and we will go beyond the pond. If I was a poet and could write a fine hand. I write my love a letter that she'd understand And write it by the river 
where the waters overflow. But I dream of pretty sad wherever I go. Osiris. <laughs> 